we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church.
sings out in tenderness he saw me. In tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sing until the courts of
Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom Son of man, in his living, in 
How are you? I trust that you are well and are eager and excited to be here, that we can worship together, sing songs about Jesus. Man, that last song that really exalts Christ, I mean, it is beautiful and it's true, it's encouraging, it is a reminder of all of who Jesus, all of who Jesus is. Um, if you are new with us today, let me hopefully be the second or third or fourth or fifth person to say thank you for being here. Um, we are so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We know that walking in new, into a new place, much less a place of worship, can be kind of daunting. And so we're just so grateful for that. Um, if you could just honor us by filling out this little card, it should be right in front of you in the chair in front of you. If you could just do that. And at the close of our worship gathering, if you could just take it um, as you exit those doors, there's a table, it's our, what we call our Ask Me booth, there should be someone behind there. If you could just hand that card to this, that person or even lay it right there uh, and we'll collect those. But uh, we want to not only know that you're here, but also begin a relationship with you. So um, we're glad that you're here. Let's stand together. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, Lord, this is yours. All of these moments that we've had thus far together are yours. In fact, every moment that we are alive and take a breath belongs to you. But Lord, these moments in particular, Lord, we want to treasure. Um, you call us to gather together. You call us to sing hymns and songs of praise. Lord, we've done that, and you've called us to read and receive your word. Help us to do that, too, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, can I just be serious for a moment? I am super excited about Colossians. I've told a number of you that, but every word we had the privilege of reading together and talking about together in our Bible study groups and then once again in our worship gathering. And I'm going to hold you accountable. I want you to be faithful to read Colossians with me. It's four chapters. You can do it. You can do it. And we're just going to take a little bit by little bit every week. This week is just eight verses. So would you make a commitment with me 
that you're going to read Colossians over the course of these next 13 weeks. Can we shake on that? All right. I'm glad. I'm glad. Every day, reading it together in our worship gatherings, in our Bible studies, this is going to be an incredible 13 weeks together in this epistle. Colossians is bigger than life because Jesus is bigger than life. That's exactly what Paul wants to communicate to this small little church and to us 2,000 years later, a bigger-than-life Jesus who is all-consuming, not just a part of our life, but all of our life, like an incredible tsunami that overwhelms us, and not only in the destructive way, but certainly in the destructive way, because Jesus, the Jesus tsunami needs to overturn and destroy some of the things that we have going on in our life, but that's not all that the tsunami of Jesus does in our life, but he is an assuring, an affirming, a restoring, empowering, sustaining kind of tsunami in our life. And that's where Paul is headed, and that's who he's going to be pointing to this whole time, a life that is consumed by this person of Jesus, the Son of God, and is forever changed, forever changed. When you go into Colossians this week, This is what I want you to pray. Lord, open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful reality of your son, Jesus. So I can share the same perspective that Paul had. And so when you open it up, hopefully every day, and you read those next few verses in Colossians, pray that. Help me to see Jesus the way Paul saw Jesus. I want the same kind of Jesus that will overwhelm my life. In the same way that it overwhelmed Paul's life and hopefully the Colossians' life as well. And so here we are in Colossians, the first eight verses. And first things first, as I said in the children's sermon, this is a letter. We call them an epistle. The Bible is incredibly dynamic. Incredibly dynamic. There is no one kind of literature, but it's a beautiful dynamic mix of poetry and history and narrative and law and apocalyptic literature and gospel like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and it's letters, like real letters. We just don't call them letters because it's a fancy title, but we call them letters because that's exactly what they were. It was an exchange from Paul to a particular people, handwritten, hand-delivered, and read in front of this church, most likely. And it's in between these pages of this letter to this church that we encounter God's greatest revelation in human history, Jesus. And not just this epistle, but throughout the pages of the whole scripture. All that we know about Jesus, the historical Jesus, is found within these pages, and again, in these few pages in this letter written to the church in Colossae. It's not a vision, it's not dreams, it's not experiences, but it's a book. It's a letter. Why? Because a book is external and it is fixed. It doesn't change. Just like I told the kids that you can take out that letter and come back to fixed words on a page and that we can be brought back to where we need to be, that we can be reminded of who Jesus really is. It is grace to us that God gave us an external fixed word 
that we're not just basing what we know about Jesus on a vision, when God uses visions, but if we only use visions, whose vision do we follow? He said, no, I want to give you something fixed, something on a page, something that can be translated and given to every single culture on the planet so that you can know the historical Jesus, who he is, and we treasure that and see it also in this book, this letter, Colossians. And so what we're about to embark on is reading a handwritten letter that was at one time opened for the very first time and read to its recipients. Epaphras, likely, who we'll read about in a moment, likely read it aloud to this small church in a small town called Colossae. These verses tell us that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, this letter says Paul wrote it. Paul says, I wrote this letter. And Paul is an apostle, not unlike Peter or John. And one of the qualifications of an apostle is visibly seeing and walking with and being under the teaching of Jesus. And so Paul qualifies because he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and spent time under the teaching of Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God. At this point, Paul is likely in prison most likely in Rome under house arrest. We know that he made it to Rome after being in Caesarea, which is a small town a little north, uh, a little north of Jerusalem. He was thrown in prison in Caesarea by uh, the authority, the Jews in Jerusalem, because he had supposedly taken a Gentile into the temple. That's, he did not do that, but they had to come up with some reason. So they take him to Caesarea, put him in, in jail. He was there for almost three years, after which he continued to appeal, because I'm a Roman citizen, I can appeal directly to the emperor. This was a part of Paul's strategy to get to Rome. And so because he made an appeal to the emperor himself, the authorities in Caesarea, put him on a ship headed to Rome. On the way to Rome, it was shipwrecked near the island of Malta. While he was there for three months, he planted a church in Malta, healed a lot of people, incredible things. In fact, Paul is the patron saint of Malta uh, today. Um, And after three months, they put him back on a ship. He makes his way to Rome. He's Uh, going to appear before the Roman emperor at some point. I'm sure there was a long list of people waiting to see the emperor. They put him in house arrest. Paul had to rent a small house for himself, and he could not leave that house. And so over the course of a few years, uh, just the Christians, and there was a a church in Rome before Paul got to Rome, they would come and just listen to Paul teach about Jesus day in and day out, day in and day out. And we believe that it was probably during this time, while he was under house arrest, the Apostle Paul, commissioned by Jesus himself to be his spokesperson, authoritative person to the Gentiles, this is when he wrote this letter to Colossae, the church in Colossae. And so we we find him writing this letter. And this letter written to the church in Colossae is a small town not too far from Ephesus where he had almost spent two years teaching and preaching and planning churches, Asia Minor today. So Paul is writing a letter, most likely in Rome, and he's writing it, and it's going to be sent back east towards this small town, Colossae. And there are his faithful saints. Saints because of God's grace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our 
Father. We can't spend too much time on this, um, but let's not take those two very powerful words for granted. Um, Most of his letters, this introduction to Paul's letter, this salutation is very common. You'll see it in Ephesians and others. He follows a similar pattern. But let's not take those two words for granted. Um, They are saints and faithful saints because of the grace of God at work in these Christians' lives. They are saints because of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. Grace has come to them through Jesus. And so when Paul writes that word grace to you, he's being very literal. Grace to you. By grace you have been saved and by grace you will be sustained. You'll be made more and more into the image of the son of Jesus. And peace. You have peace because of the work of Jesus. You were an enemy of God, but now you're at peace with God. And so... He's being quite literal. Let's not take those words for granted. But in these next several verses, verses 3 through 8, where we're going to spend the rest of our time, Paul underscores for us some very important Christian values or principles that I want us to spend time with today. And so we're going to read Colossians verses 3 through 7. Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a fellow minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. One of the core principles that Paul is teaching the church in Colossae and us today is that the gospel never stands still. Faith never stands still. Both always travel. The good news of Jesus was always designed to build networks of superhighways and roads of people through relationships, whereby that gospel and that faith would travel here and there. It was never only to be a personal, quiet experience. It was never only to be individualized. It was always meant to travel and to go. It was meant for that, designed for that. And the descriptions that we have in these verses of, I thank God for you because I heard of your great faith, and uh, and Epaphras told us, and you learned of the gospel because you heard it from Epaphras. You hear this going and coming of the gospel and faith, this network through Epaphras where the gospel and faith traveled. It was the great commission at work. Gospel was never intended to stand still. To get a better glimpse of what was actually going on in Ephesus and in Colossae, listen to this. This is Acts 19.10. This is Acts 19.10. Just further evidence, the gospel was never intended to stand still. This is talking about his residency while he was in Ephesus. It says, this continued for two years, teaching and preaching, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And that verse alone just captures for us the nature of the gospel, the nature of faith, that it was never intended to stand still. It goes. 
through relationships with people, those highways and superhighways and roads and connections and networks, through people, the gospel and faith travel. And here, Paul names Epaphras. And so from Ephesus to Colossae, the gospel comes through Epaphras. It says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. It traveled through Epaphras. The gospel always travels to us or comes to us. In fact, the only way you have come to faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian today, the only way that you have come to faith in Christ because the gospel traveled to you. It came to you through someone else. It always travels. And God has chosen, we know this, that God has chosen the church to be that super highway, to be the bearer of this good news so it can travel from one place to the other. In this case, that super highway or that road is Epaphras. Epaphras. It's clear that Epaphras is near the center of this faith story, isn't he? The only way that Colossae encountered the gospel is through Epaphras. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Peter or any one of the other disciples, it was Epaphras. The gospel travels through people in a relationship, and he raises up people of all kinds, not just authoritative apostles. He uses everybody from every walks of life and any vocation to be his connection to someone else so that the gospel and faith may travel and go in the way it's been designed. What we know about Epaphras is speculative. What we believe happened is is that Epaphras, probably a businessman, probably an entrepreneur, was in Ephesus doing business. He heard Paul teaching, or he heard about Paul, and he went to Paul and heard the gospel through Paul. He could have stayed there for days or weeks, we don't know, but we do know that Epaphras, through the traveling of the gospel through Paul, Epaphras believed in Jesus. He put his faith and trust in Christ, and it didn't stay there. That 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 superhighway of the gospel, that road of the gospel, made its way through Epaphras. And when he returned home to his hometown in Colossae, he began to tell his friends and neighbors, you know what I heard in Ephesus? I heard about a man named Jesus. It traveled there through Epaphras. And Epaphras, not an apostle, not a called preacher necessarily, he didn't have a special diploma from anywhere, just a businessman who responded to faith to the gospel, went home and spread the gospel to friends and family, and a church was planted. Because the gospel travels. It travels through those networks and connections of people. As people are transformed, the the gospel goes. Faith travels to others. But that's not all he did. We know just by this account that he didn't just tell the gospel to these people in Colossae, but he also stuck around. He stuck around. He began to invest in them, which is the Great Commission, not just telling them about Jesus, but baptizing them and then teaching them to obey Jesus. That's what Epaphras did, and that's what we have in this account, is that Epaphras modeled for us not just the speaking of the gospel to Colossae, but also to hear and see the need of their faith in Colossae. Epaphras became their discipler to help them to grow up in Jesus. Epaphras was that connection. So what happened? He planted a church. And likely Paul inquired Epaphras, tell me how things are going. 
And because of his relationship with this small church, Epaphras knew what was going on in their life. He knew their struggles. He knew their strengths. And he returns. He goes back. He goes back to Paul. See, the faith travels. It comes out of us as we were having relationships with people. And it travels. And Epaphras took what he knew about the faith of this small church. And he took it back to Paul. And in that relationship, in that network, that connection between Epaphras and Paul, Paul knew exactly what he needed to do to encourage this small little church. Faith, the gospel, was never intended to stand still. It's always on the move. In this case, Epaphras was that connection of hearing the gospel and discipleship where the gospel was on the move and their faith was on the move. They were aware of each other's needs because there was that connection. Do you know who could be the next superhighway of the gospel in San Antonio? You could be. Just like Epaphras. Some of you are. We could be. The church, First Baptist Church, in all the networks that we have around this city, Paul says to us, the gospel doesn't stand still. It moves, it builds relationships through which people hear the gospel and then people are encouraged to follow Jesus. People are encouraged. Do you know who could be the greatest advocate for your faith journey? Just like Epaphras was the greatest advocate for this church in Colossae. He knew their struggles, he knew their needs because their faith traveled outside of themselves. But do you know who could be your greatest advocate for your faith and your faith journey? Probably someone you already know. Probably someone sitting right next to you. Do you know who could be the greatest advocate for your neighbor's faith or your friend's faith or your spouse's faith? You could, just like Epaphras, looking out for that church, knowing where they are, knowing what they need. This is the church at work. People connected together, knowing what we need to hear, how we need to be encouraged. It's, it's, and not just discipleship, but it's that network where the faith travels, the gospel travels outside of ourselves. So it's both going and telling new people and us sharing with one another in that network, that super highway of the gospel and our faith. It's the great commission at work through the church at work. But that's not all. So the first value is this. The first principle is the gospel always travels. Faith always travels. It connects us. It connects us. The second is this. Let's read verses four and five. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So what did Paul hear about the Colossians? What did Paul hear about the Colossians? He heard two kinds of fruit in this little church. He heard about faith in Jesus and love for the saints. Now, the kind of faith that he's talking about is not just a mental exercise. That's valuable. It's not just an assent or an understanding of certain truths about Jesus, although that's really important. But it's the work of faith that Paul is talking about here. It's It's the same difference between meditation on a thing and doing the thing, like a sport, right? Uh, You can meditate all day long upon the proper form and technique and even imagine yourself doing it, but 
meditating or imagination is not the actually doing of something. And so when Paul talks about the faith of these, this, this small church, he's talking about this active, working kind of faith, not just here, but in their feet as well. It's the kind of faith that moves towards Jesus, obeys Jesus even when it's hard. It's that real-life kind of all-guts kind of faith that Paul's talking about here. It's, it's the teenager who doesn't participate in gossip because they know that Jesus said, no, I'm called to speak life. I choose to do what Jesus asked me to do. That's, that's that kind of faith. Or uh, you, Christian, um, giving to someone in need because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Rather than to hold on to what you have, give what you have. That's that kind of faith that, that Paul's talking about. Or a spouse who lays down their self for my spouse's good because Jesus said love your wife the same way that Christ loved the church. This is the kind of faith that, that Paul's talking about, the faith that moves and obeys and listens and works. And he says, also they have love for the saints. They have faith that works and they have love for the saints. That's the two fruit that's being born here, a love for others, to be their advocate, pursuing their interests, blessing them. That's what he's talking about, an affinity for one another, looking out for each other. He says, in this church, that's what's going on. This church, through Epaphras, the faith has traveled to them and it has grown. Epaphras has, has shared with Paul their needs, and so they're being encouraged. But they have the kind of faith that is working, is working out every day, and a faith that leads them to love one another. Paul says these, this is the kind of fruits. This is the kind of fruits that spring up. But he says they spring up from somewhere. Where do they spring up from? First Colossians 1.5, he says, because, so there's a comma, says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So these two fruits, faith and love for one another, spring out of hope, according to Paul. Gutsy faith and love for one another come out of hope for what is yet to come. Hope for what is laid up for you in heaven, is what he says. Paul will say to us, the hardships that we face today don't even begin to compare to the glory that is to come. That's in Romans 8. In other words, holding on to and obeying Jesus, that gutsy kind of faith, and loving one another is worth it because what's to come is greater than anything that we can face right now. It ties us through. It sustains us in the kind of faith that Paul would say we need to have. In Philippians 1, 21 through 23, listen to this. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two, whether to die or to stick around and work with you. But he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Here's the hope, for that is far better. And out of that kind of hope that looks to Jesus, that has a trajectory, that is hoping for something that will come at the end of this, this run, this walk of faith, and Paul says, it's far better than anything that I could be experiencing right now. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all pity, all people most to be pitied. Now, what is Paul saying? He's talking about the resurrection. And he's saying if the resurrection is just a facade, if it's fake, if, if the church is not going to rise again, 
Um, if the saints aren't going to rise again, then man, people should be sorry for us because we have expended our whole lives to tell other people about Jesus. And if we don't rise again, if there's not something laid up for us, if there's no hope, then this has been a colossal waste of time. But that's not what Paul says. He says it's better. What's coming is better. And the promise and hope that we have in Christ doesn't even begin to compare what we face today. Y'all know that we are capable of doing extraordinary things if we are properly motivated, when our eyes and hearts are fixed on a prize. A bad diagnosis will change someone's lifestyle in a heartbeat in a pursuit of good health. A desired vocation, a job, someone will endure years and years of preparation because of their hope is set on becoming a doctor or helping others or what other vocation you want to fill that blank with. Or the lengths a young man or an old man will go through to impress a girl. Hope, that, that objective will motivate us to do extraordinary things. And this is why Paul used sports as a metaphor for his faith. He says, I run in such a way as to win the prize. He didn't have the prize in the race. He has the prize at the end of the race. Or Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul has heard that their eyes, this small church, is on the prize. And the fruit of that kind of hope is gutsy faith in Jesus, the everyday, one foot in front of the other kind of faith, and a genuine love for others. All of it springing out of a real-life hope, looking beyond their current circumstances, and placing their hope on the prize that is the promise of God through the gospel. How is this so? How is it that when we place our hope in Jesus that we begin to love other people? So the foundation is hope, and he says you'll have faith, you'll have love. Well, very quickly, we become what we hope for, we become what we treasure. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is also. It's no wonder when we see Jesus for who he is and our hope, when Jesus becomes not just the means of our salvation, but also the reward of our salvation, in other words, we're not only saved by him, but we're going to him. When he becomes the prize for us, when he becomes our treasure for us, it's no wonder that we begin to love like Jesus loves. We become like our treasure. The Old Testament also said that about our idols, remember? You become just like them, deaf and dumb. Can't hear, can't feel, can't touch. In this case, when Jesus becomes, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, and he becomes our prize, our reward, Jesus says, Paul says, from that springs love and gutsy faith, gutsy faith. Don't we want that to be said about us? Don't we want that to be said about us, that we had the kind of faith that travels that we're connected to one another, we know each other's need and how to meet each other's needs? Uh, don't we want to, uh, to be known as the church that is just intimately connected and it's connected in this city and where people see and hear our faith at work? 
and hear the gospel. Don't you want that to be said of you, said of this church? Don't you want it to be said of you that, man, this, this person, this church has great faith that's at work, and this church loves one another because they hope in something greater than themselves, the promise, the promise of Jesus. We will see that for Paul... The way to get there is to have a right view of the bigness and beauty and glory of Jesus. That the only way for us to be that kind of church is for our Jesus to be colossal. To be huge. In Paul's mind, which is inspired by the Spirit of God, he is saying to us, the only way that we overcome the hurdles that are in our life, whether it be sin or something external, the only way that we press on towards faith, the only way that we become a great commission church is if we have the right perspective and view of Jesus for who he is. If we really are seeing Jesus for who he is. And so my question for you and my question for me is, do you want your Jesus to stay small or be huge? Do we want the kind of lives that stay mundane or do we want victory? Paul would say the solution is you've got to change the way you're thinking about Jesus. Is your Jesus big enough that he changes your life and changes your trajectory? Because if, if the prize that we have in the gospel is small, it won't inspire us or motivate us. And so for the rest of our time in Colossians, Jesus, uh, Paul is going to do two things. He's going to just blow up Jesus for us to see him for who he is. Bigger than a billboard. Uh, I mean, he wants us to really see him for who he is. And then he's going to say, okay, now follow him. If he really is that big, follow him. We have a wonderful journey ahead of us in Colossians. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this letter that you wrote to this small church. Lord, they were hearing things about Jesus for the very first time. We've had this letter for 2,000 years. So Lord, help us to see, um, hopefully in the same way that they saw, where their faith was expanded, their hope was emboldened and strengthened, and their love for one another just only increased. Lord, we want that to be true for us as it was true for them. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Will you pray with me? Uh, this, uh, we're going to move into a time of response. Will you pray with me that we see Jesus the way we ought to see him? Uh, will you be committed over these next 13 weeks to uh, ask God, Lord, help me, help my view of your son just to get bigger, to increase. May Jesus increase, may I decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. Will that be your prayer this week, these 13 weeks? Uh, maybe you're like me, and you just need to admit, you just need to admit, man, sometimes my view of Jesus is small, just really small. Just confess that to the Lord. Uh, you can do that here, uh, there, or you can let me know, um, you can do it where you are, but will you pray that way? If if, if you don't know Christ yet, in other words, if you have not 
believed in this Jesus. Paul says it, I says it, Epaphras says it, probably your neighbor says it. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus because he is the son of God. And he died on the cross and rose from the grave so that you could be forgiven of sin and so that you can claim the prize in Christ Jesus, which is everlasting life and restoration and fellowship, perfect fellowship with God and with one another. Will you believe in Jesus today? I wanna know if you do, you can come down front and let me know that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But let's stand together, let's sing, let's respond to Jesus today. Hidden glory.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.